Let's bow again. Father, again, we just come before you and we thank you for the privilege we have to be together and to uh, sing your praises and then now to look into your word. I pray as we come to this passage, Lord God, that you would enable me to share it exactly as you desire, that uh, your word would be brought forth uh, exactly as intended, and Father, that we would respond as you desire, that you would use this greatly in us, that we would not be like those who hear your word and immediately forget uh, what type of person we are, but that we would be those who hear your word and it abides in us and remains with us. So bless your word as it goes out today. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's that old saying, you can't judge a book by a cover. What's cover? And that's true to a certain extent. But if the book says Holy Bible, I can kind of know what it is, right? Or if the book has a picture of an airplane on it, it might be talking about airplanes or whatever it might be. There's a sense in which you can get an idea of what might be in there, but you can't make a judgment about it, certainly. And this is uh, true in other areas of our lives. Take, for instance, our clothing. Our clothes can reveal something about us. Dirty old clothes might reveal that we're poor or unkept, possibly. Fine clothes might reveal that we have wealth or intentions to show respect to others around us, possibly. Now, certainly, we cannot see one's motives. But take, for instance, people's uniforms. A police uniform indicates a police officer. A football helmet and uniform pads indicate a football player. So what am I getting at? Well, I believe our words and our actions are that which clothe our lives. And as people look at that, they're going to get an understanding of who we are. And today we're going to see that we are to be clothing ourselves with Christ. So you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 12 through 14. And we've been going through the book of Colossians. We know the Apostle Paul has been informed of their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. He's also been informed of the bad guys who are trying to delude them with persuasive arguments, who are trying to bring about uh, ways and systems to follow the Lord rather than a focus on Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul made it clear that those things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And within this book, the Apostle Paul pointed to the solution to our issue of dealing with the flesh and dealing with anything in this life. And the solution is Jesus Christ. He is the the creator. He is the Lord of this first creation. He is the Lord of the new creation, his church. That's us, those whom he's purchased with his blood. And we are those um, who have a blessed salvation, and in him we are complete. And the Apostle Paul, towards the end of chapter 1, began to share the Lord's ministry through him so that it would contrast the false guys in chapter 2. Uh, he should revealed that the Lord's ministers uh, are chosen by the Lord, that they're the ones who who, who don't just decide to, to uh, serve the Lord. They're those that the Lord enables and empowers to do his will. Also that uh, there is the, the, the message of the ministry is Christ. It's proclaimed through the whole word of God, completely, fully proclaimed the word of God. And the method that it is done in the body of Christ is that we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we represent every man complete in Christ. And that's why Paul labored and strived. 
And that's what we ought to be doing, those of us who have those gifts. And then in chapter 2, I've already mentioned it, but we see that Christ in him are all the, are all the treasures, are fullness of wisdom and knowledge in him, everything. He's, he, it's all in Christ. But the bad guys are coming along with worldly ways to follow Jesus. Worldly ways. They, uh, will tempt you to, uh, delight in religious shadows. From the, from the Bible, they twist it around, make it seem like it's from God, but it's a shadow that's being misinterpreted and mis, misaligned in the focus. They tempt you to delight in your own religious experience. Boy, do we see that today, I tell you. Boy, do we see that. Uh, when we also saw that uh, they would have you hold down your body to submit to decrees, do not touch, do not do this, to, to treat yourself badly, to keep yourself from sinning. But all of these things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so we saw the solution was Christ. In him we're complete. In him we have a complete salvation. And it is he that we have died with and we have been raised in newness of life. And therefore, if we've been raised in newness of life, chapter 3, we're to keep seeking the things above, the things of the exalted Christ. We're to set our mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Because our life, we've died and our life is hidden with Christ. And when he is revealed, we'll be revealed with him in glory. And then we came to some of the first applications of the sufficiency of Christ bearing out in our lives is that we can now, in Christ, say no to sin. We can we can kill it off, in a sense. And we saw that we're to be killing off sexual sin. We're to not let it live in our lives. By the power of Christ, we can say no to it. We can, we're certainly forgiven when we fail, but we can say no to it, and we are to say no to it. And we are to then allow Christ to live through us. And then we saw last week that we're also to say we're also to put off and, and, and not allow these things to live in our lives, uh, anger and wrath, malice, uh, you know, slander, abusive speech, those things. We're not to allow those things to live in our lives. That, we're not to be clothed with those type of behaviors. We're not to be walking around where people see that's what they see when they see us. And in contrast today, we're going to see after having put off sin, what we are to put on. What we are to put on. And we're going to see that we're commanded to effectively clothe ourselves with Christ. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter um, 3, and we're looking at verses 12 to 14. And let me read this for you. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone... Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Today, we're going to see what we are to put on. We're to put off sin. We're to put off those things, the the, the lusts that are in contradiction to God's will. We're to put off those uh, anger and those attitudes that are in contradiction to God's will. But we're to put something on. And so our passage, he begins, notice this, and so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, he's going to identify who we are and give us a motivation based on some truth about us. And he says, and here is the key, here's the command, this is the main focus of our passage, put on a heart of, and then he goes and gives a list of things. And then he'll have two, two participles after that that are connected to that. So this group who are chosen of God, holy beloved, as we'll look at in a minute, are to put on, the word is enduo, 
And it simply speaks of putting on clothing. It's a, it's an illustration. It's a metaphor. It, it, you know, when I take a jacket off, it is not hard to do. I need to make the decision to do it. In Christ, we can put off those things that are not of him. We think we're stuck, and we are if we're not repenting, we're not confessing. Yes, if you are angry and you don't confess it, yes, you are stuck in that, and you cannot get out of that. But if you confess, you are set free. Christ sets you free. And now you can take off those attitudes like a dirty garment and throw them aside, but yet that's not all we're to do. We're to put on Christ's likeness. We're to put it on. That's really the key in this portion, to put on, to be completely enveloped by something. We're to be enveloped by something. And I've already mentioned it already, but if you look back in verse 1, we saw that if you've been raised with Christ, that means you've been united to his death and his resurrection. You are united to Christ through faith. Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. For you have died. We were di- we've died with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Because of that, then, therefore, therefore, we can consider something. We can, we, and actually we saw as we looked at that, that we're actually not to consider, but we're to put to death. We're to put to death. We're not to consider ourselves dead. That's true. But that's really not what it says in Greek. It says put it to death. We're to kill it off. We're to kill it off. Because we're in Christ, we have all the power of the risen Lord to make the right decisions and to empower us to do what's right. We're to put it off. What are we thinking of the things above? When you're thinking of the things below, then you're angry. Thinking of things below, then you're lusting. Thinking of things below, thinking of Christ, then he's helping us deal with those things rightly. And he says here, to do that, to, when he, to, we saw it was, uh, is dead to a morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's on account of these things the wrath of God will come. Hey, this is why God's wrath's coming. And he says here, and in them you also once walked when you were living. That's the way we lived. But now, as we saw last week, you also put them all aside. Tear them off like a dirty garment. Anger, don't let that live in you. Don't let that be you. That's not who you are. Don't be an angry person. Give that over to the Lord. Give other circumstances to him as we'll see. Trust him. Say no to those impulses to react to your flesh and trust the Lord Jesus to deal with things rightly. And we'll see what we're to put on instead today. Anger, wrath, slander, malice, slander, and abusive speech from mouth. Do not lie to one another. You Don't live a lie. Uh, since you have laid aside or stripped off in, in, in position, your old man has been stripped away from you. The old self or old man with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed. The one being renewed we saw last night. We have a new man who is being renewed to a true knowledge of Christ who's being renewed and it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're slave or free or Greek or Jew or Scythian, barbarian, whatever it is, doesn't matter. It's not up to who you are and who you were, but it's up to him who renews us. And we're being renewed. And we see that it's Christ who is all in all. It's, he is doing it. It's Christ. It's Christ. And then, so we come to here, to our passage, and so, and so, right? There we go. 
Here we have what we're to be doing, and so we're to do something. Now, with this in mind, I want to remind you all and point to this fact of what we saw last and then coming to what we'll see today, but that you can't put on these things that we're going to look at today without putting off those other things. You've got to strip those things off. You've got to say no to them. You've got to confess it if you've yielded to it. You cannot be in sin and put on these qualities. If you do, it's just a false, phony hypocrisy. Right? The reality is, we have to take off sin, make that decision before we put on what's right. We have to put on what's right. We need to make a decision. You see, some of you might be struggling with putting on Christ-like characteristics. And could it be you have not first put off sin? Could it be you haven't put it off? Could that be? James 1.19, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which they will save your souls. Put off the sin, receive the word of God. First Peter 2.1, Therefore, putting aside all malice, and all guile and hypocrisy, envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Put aside sin. Ephesians chapter 4. But you did not learn Christ this way in terms of uh, immorality and, and focus and sexual things, terrible things. You didn't learn him that way. If indeed you have heard him, been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Are you struggling with putting on Christ-like characteristics? Then maybe you just got some sinful characteristics that need to be thrown off in the context of confession. You need to throw them off. You see it rightly. So then, after putting off, we are to put on. This is the context of setting your mind to things above. We're to put on, verse 12, as so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, excuse me, heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I'm just going to talk about here the character of Christ. It's the character of Christ in you being manifest, which means you need to abide in him and yield to his will and allow his spirit to cause you to respond differently. Read this earlier, but I'm going to read it again. Romans 13, 12, the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside, there's your same term, and do lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on, or that's do put on the armor of light, put it on. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Endure him. Put him on like a garment. Allow his character to encompass you from the heart and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Now, back in our passage, Colossians 3, verse 12 Notice it starts out, and so. Now in Greek, it's the Greek uh, conjunction un, which basically is usually translated therefore. You may have another version that it's therefore. So and so is a way, different way to translate. I don't know why they do it that way. But I just say therefore. 
Therefore, based on what he's just said, do this. And what did he just say? You were united to Christ, receiving all the benefits of his death, his sin, and life to God. Set your mind on things above. Therefore, since you are in position and identity and union with him, lay aside the old self, take up the new self. You've done that. He says that. A new self, the one being renewed to the true knowledge of the image of the one who created him. Since this is who you really are, put off sin and put on the characteristics of Christ, who is all and in all. Paul is saying because of our new life in Christ, new creations in him, him being completely sufficient, we're commanded to lay aside the old ways of our old life like a dirty garment. That means you've got to think about it. You've got to realize what that is is dirty. It's bad. It needs to be put off, right? You've got to recognize what God says about things and, and do what he says, as we'll say. It's not a suggestion to put those things off as we saw last week and the week before. It's not a suggestion to kill them off. It's a command. Do not let them live in your life. Don't let anger live in your life. Don't let lust live in your life. Don't let it live. Don't let it live. Kill it off. Put it off. Now, at this point, he's going to give three characteristics of those who are to put on. And it's going to encourage us to see things right, to see ourselves rightly, so that we are motivated rightly to do what is right. He says there, and so, or therefore, as those who have been chosen of God, first one, Holy, second one, and beloved, put on. Three things. Three things, three characteristics of true believers that should motivate us to obey this command. You know, God doesn't need to motivate us to obey the command, but he does. He says, here's what you're to do. But here he gives us the reasoning. And these three characteristics are those that apply to those who are believers. Remember, this book is written to those who have a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and a love for the saints. is written to believers. And so let's look at these truths briefly and remember that this is who we are, and therefore this ought to motivate us to, to do what's right. He says, first of all, therefore, as of those who have been chosen of God. Now this this part, you know, most, a lot of people kind of avoid this. Okay, here we go. Now we're going to get into the whole debate over election and all stuff. We've got so much trouble in the church. We have people who have made certain doctrines the pinnacle of, of, of their relationship with Christ, rather than seeing the truths that are taught rightly in their context. Anything that may be true or right, taken out of its place and exalted above other things, becomes a perversion of that. And people become thus dogmatic and angry about those things. People say, are you a four point, five point, three point? I am a one point. Christ. It's Christ and what he has revealed. But he has revealed truth. And we need to understand it. We need to know it. What God says about us. Notice what he says. As those who have been chosen of God. This he literally says as the elect of God. This is who you are. Put on these things. The word electos means elect or chosen. When you go to the polls to elect a president, who you choose become well, if it's not rigged, but if you cho- if, who you choose becomes the president, right? You have elected them. You made a choice to uh, bring that person into office. And in our context, he is calling Paul is calling these Colossian believers God's elect. The ones God chose. The ones God chose. Now, besides all the mess up and all the stuff and all the misunderstanding, this ought to be very encouraging. 
you know, I don't know if you remember, you know, and this is a bad illustration, but, you know, when you're, you know, in junior high or elementary school and they're choosing the people for the teams, you know, and you're like, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, and what a blessing is to be chosen. Someone thought of you. They thought of you, right? Well, here it's much more different than that. It's a silly illustration. But here, God chose us. And what does this mean? Now, again, many debate the doctrine of election, but God has it here. But we've got to see it balanced with the other truths. We've got to see it rightly. You've got to see it rightly. Scripture is really clear about this. And I'm going to read off some passages. You can go there if you like. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God, verse 3, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Second Thessalonians 2.13 But we should also give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Second Peter 1.10 Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of, about his calling and choosing you. As long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. Scripture also identifies uh, believers as the chosen. Romans chapter 8, 32. He did, he, he did not spare his own son, but delivered us all up, delivered him, him up for us all. How will you not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Titus chapter 1, Paul, a bondservant of, of, of God, an apostle of Christ, Jesus Christ, for the faith of the chosen of God. 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. 2 Timothy 2.10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, Paul writes to Timothy. The reality is, God sovereignly chose us. Now this bothers us. <laughs> this bothers us, right? But think about it. Did God ask your permission to create you? Did God say, what day would you like to be born on? Did God do that? God actually brought it about. Right? He is sovereign. And what we feel is that it's unfair or not right. But the reality is, along with his choosing, he also freely offers the gospel to everyone. And how does this work? How does this work? I don't understand that. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. That's to everyone. Uh, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, whoever will call upon the name will be saved. The gospel goes out to all, so much so that Jesus, in his humanity, wept over Israel's rejection. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent her, how often I want to gather your children together as the way the hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were unwilling. Ezekiel chapter 18, 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, or of anyone who dies, therefore repent and live. Takes no pleasure in it. And precious in his sight are the death of his godly ones. He doesn't take pleasure in people dying in their sins and going to judgment, but he's a righteous, just God. The offer is available to all. But we see many are called, but few are chosen. 
We go, yikes, how do we deal with that? Well, how I deal with it is I look at it and I go, okay, that's true. I look at that and I say, that's true. And I believe them both and I'm not going to try to resolve it because if I do, I'm going to get messed up. I'm going to get emotional or I'm going to become intellectual. And I'm going to get away from Christ rather than just believing what he said and looking at the intent here. The intent is God loves us. He chose us for salvation. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. So then Paul says, um, back in our passage, those who are chosen. He says, uh, those of God, the chosen. I want to read this exactly here. He says, and so as of those who have been chosen of God. Now notice what he says after that. He talks about something in terms of holiness. He says, holy. He says, holy. The term Haggai uh, speaks of being set apart in context from sin unto God. You see, we were delivered from the domain of darkness, and we were cleansed from our sins. We were forgiven. We were declared righteous, and therefore we are holy. We are saints. That's a derivative of that. We're holy. We're holy in position, and God is making us holy in practice. He says we're to be holy, for he is holy. First Peter 1.16 So the chosen of God, the holy, those are holy, then lastly, beloved, or literally loved ones. This should make you just feel great about what God thinks of us. Now, you know, we're very cautious saying, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. You know, well, God chose us, he loves us, we are nothing. But we are who we are, we're who he made us. And he loves us. There's a personal relationship because of Christ. This term beloved means loved ones. We know that God demonstrates his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were in our sin and he loved us. We know in uh, 1 John 3 that we are to see how great the uh, great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. What a tremendous love. 1 John 4.10, and this is in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Chosen, holy, and beloved. That's how God sees you, and that's because of Christ, by the way. It's not because of you. He sees you that way. Chosen, beloved, and holy. Holy and beloved. And therefore, we need to put on the form of God so we don't see ourselves wrongly. We need to see ourselves rightly from God's perspective. And that motivates us actually to do what's right. It motivates us to do what's right. This passage is written to believers. Chosen, holy, and beloved. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can't do what is going to be said here. You can't do it. It's to believers. So then, if you've been raised with Christ, you're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved... If your life is hidden in him, then we're to allow Christ to live through us. I mentioned this uh, illustration before of an old southern preacher. I thought, well, now I'm an old southern preacher. (laughs) Uh, uh, Be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, you is who you ain't. We are chosen, we're holy, and we're beloved, and therefore that should motivate us to be who we are, to be who we are. So back to our passage now. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, here we go, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself with this. You know, it's ugly when people are snappy. 
You ask him to do something. We've all fallen that way, right? We've all done that. We've all reacted wrongly, but we should be convicted by it. We, believers should be convicted. You know, we shouldn't be fearful. People we ask him something, ah, you know, right? Right? That doesn't look nice, does it? It looks terrible. And we've all done that. But we should desire to clothe ourselves with these things, and then we should clothe ourselves with these things. This should be the clothing that people see of us by and large. When they see you, you, and you, and you who've trusted Christ, when they, this is the thing they should see. This is what should envelop you on the inside going forth to the outside. Notice, first of all, he says, put on a heart of compassion. Now, you might be able to say a heart of these things going the whole way through grammatically. It's possible. Put on a heart of compassion, or a New King James, tender mercies. Here in Greek, it's two words. The first word is inward parts. That's the inside. The second Greek word uh, speaks of uh, of uh, emotion or, or, or heartfelt compassion. Excuse me. Sympathy, pity, mercy. It speaks of true, genuine, inward compassion. Heartfelt. Heartfelt. Be clothed with a heartfelt compassion. Now, Scripture reveals that God is full of compassion, by the way. You know, uh, when James was summarizing the situation for Job, he said in the, in, the, in the end deal, in the end run, it showed that God is full of compassion. James chapter 5. As an example of verse 10, of brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count them blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. He's full of compassion. He's full of compassion. Let me share some passages about the Lord's compassion. Let's turn it together to Matthew. Let's start in Matthew 9, verse 36. I think because of our disdain for sin, our compassion goes out the window at times. That needs to not be the case when we put it on. Now, we're going to see a lot of this has to do with our interactions with, within ourselves, by the way. Within one another, by the way. Matthew chapter 9, 36. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. That's our Lord. You abide in him and you rely on him and you let him live in you and you're going to feel the same way. He's going to live through you. Because they just were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion. The inward sense of mercy and pity. From the inward, from the heart. Matthew 14, 13. Now when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. And when the multitudes heard of this, and speaking of what happened to John, out of this, they followed him on foot from the cities and when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Uh, we see his compassion when he fed the 4,000 in Matthew 15.32. Matthew 15.32. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion. We go, feelings? Ooh, Christians don't have feelings. Yes, we do. <laughs> we should have his feelings. He says, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing. He was even compassionate because they were hungry. It's a compassionate God. 
I venture to say we lack of compassion a lot. I have. The Lord uses these passages to change my heart. Change my heart so that I would put that on, so that you would put that on, and you would put that on, you would, right? Indeed, Matthew twenty thirty, we see his compassion again. And behold, two blind men were sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, and they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew twenty thirty one. And the multitude sternly told them to be quiet. Be quiet, right? <laughs> um, but they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. You know, we are very much aware, and this is a good thing. If you're aware of your lack of compassion, that's a good thing. That means God is convicting you. That means uh, he wants to change you, change us, right? We need to be more compassionate. We need to put on a heart of compassion. We need to think about it. When we're angry, we need to put that off. We need to be compassionate. We're going to see. We need to be forgiving. We need to be forbearing. It all ties into that. We need to be like Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. So then the first one is compassion, right? Put it on, right? Jesus uh, demonstrated his redemptive compassion in those, in, those, in those portions, right? We should be full of compassion towards one another, especially, right? But also towards those who need to be saved. They need salvation. Choose by the Spirit to be compassionate. That means God's Word's got to be working. That means when you're about to not be compassionate, you remember, oh, put it on our heart. God's Word works your heart. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me be like you. And he will. And he will. So notice, it comes from the heart. Put on a heart of compassion. We need to have changed minds in relationship to our circumstances that we encounter on a daily basis. You've got to change your mind about your circumstances. It's, it's what people do to you that make you not be compassionate, make you angry, right? Or what's, how you perceive it. You may be wrong, actually, or not, right? Somebody says something to you, you get mad, storm off, whatever it is. Somebody says something, whatever it might be, you've got to see your circumstances differently. You've got to allow the Lord to envelop you with compassion. We're going to encounter those who aren't so kind to us. We're going to encounter those who treat us badly, yes. We're going to be tempted to be selfish, lack compassion. Uh, and we need to allow God through his word to change our minds towards those in whom we are around. Allow his word to convict you. And maybe you've been convicted. I haven't been compassionate. I've been been reactive. Oh, I praise the Lord then. Confess it. Be forgiven. You know, we're those who confess sin. And trust the Lord and allow him to be compassionate through you. So put on a heart of compassion. Notice the next one. Kindness. Kindness. Be clothed with kindness. You know, we can be so mean at times. You know, um, we need to be clothed with kindness. Be clothed with kindness. This word speaks of a kindness expressed in attitude or deed, a goodness towards others. Goodness. It's a gracious, gentle disposition that seeks to do what's right. And brothers and sisters, again, we can be so unkind and we do fail, but we need to put it on. We need to confess and put it on, right? When we're tempted to be unkind next, remember what God has said and put on kindness. 
I share a couple of verses here in relationship. We know that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2, or do you think lightly, verse 4, that the, of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, his kindness does. We know that uh, in the ages to come, we were saved by his grace so that in the ages to come, Ephesians 2, 7, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us. God was kind to us when he saved us. He was kind. So we got to look at his character. we got to look at who he is and remember what he's done and, and that will reflect in our lives. Titus 3, 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He's kind. We need to allow his kindness to be manifest in us. First Peter 2, 1, therefore putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn babes long for the pure miracle of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted kindness of the Lord. His kindness was to save us. We're wretched, we're in his face with our sin, and he saved us. He's a gracious God. He's kind. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness. Proverbs 19.22, what is desirable of a man is his kindness. Now I know we've all failed. So confess, be forgiven. Praise God for forgiveness and ask him to help you be kind. Put it on. Throw off those other actions like a dirty garment. Confess them, throw them off. Or when you're tempted, set them aside and allow his word and his will to to re, renew your mind so that you respond differently to people. Lord, help me be kind to them. Help me to be kind, Lord God. And he will. Now notice the next one. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, and hu- the next one is humility. This is a genuine humility as opposed to a false humility, uh, like we see in uh, chapter two, false humility, a, a a false humbling, you know, to 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 deal with sin or whatever it might. Be. This is a true humility. Now, humility is simply the recognition of one's true state in light of who God truly is. Really, seeing it rightly, it is a lowering of one's thinking to its proper place before God. It includes the idea of submission and obedience. God's humble; He is humble, and Christ exemplified. His humility in His incarnation. Philippians two verse three. You could turn. Let's turn to Philippians two. See, when you see yourself above others, then you treat people badly. By the way, <laughs> this is really that's it. When you see your will is more important than theirs or God's, then you're going to treat people badly. That's how the world functions. Philippians two three. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, there you go, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You want to humble yourself, then obey the Lord in relationship to people around you. Humble yourself, right? He became obedient in his humility. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus shares uh, uh, an invitation to all who are weary and heavy laden. He shares his internal reality of who he is about himself. The only time he does this, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What a great God we have! What a great God we have! Where to put it on? Where to put it on? First Peter five six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. And how am I going to do that in this context? Casting all my anxiety upon Him, for He cares for me. I'm prideful if I hold on to that stuff. If I give it over to him, I'm realizing, hey, I can't do anything about it. But he can, and he will. James 4.16, when dealing with worldliness, but he gives a greater grace, 4.6. Therefore, it says, God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, he'll give you grace. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. Tremendous. Tremendous. Put it on like a garment. In Christ, you can choose to allow his character to come through you, rather than your old man living through you. You could choose to allow Christ Notice the next one on the list, gentleness. Gentleness. Now there's a few different words for gentle in scripture. This one comes from the Greek word praus that's related to it. It's sometimes translated meek or gentle. It's often in parallel with humble as we see here in our passage, but also in Ephesians 4 too. I like what one lexicon says about this word. I like your description. It says that it's a humble and gentle attitude that expresses itself in Patient submissiveness to offense. Someone says something you don't like. Someone does something you don't like. Boom! Or you can have a patience and a gentleness and a response. It's a difference. It's only Christ can do that. Free from malice and desire for revenge. It's a quality of gentle, gentle friendliness or meekness. Meekness. It's exactly who Christ was and is. And how he described himself. We see that he says, Take my yoke upon me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. We know that by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, we're to, we're to obey the Lord, we're to follow him rightly. Second Corinthians 10, Paul says, I urge you by those things. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 5? Blessed are the gentle, if that's the word, for they shall inherit the earth. It's a characteristic of Christ. It's impossible on your own. All these things are impossible. When you're in your flesh, you can't do it. You could fake it. It can be an external uh, pharisaical thing. But when you trust him and you rely on him, you're thinking from his point of view in regards to what's happening, he will enable you to envelop yourself with those things. Put on Christ. This gentleness is a humble submissiveness towards God, a temper of spirit, Manifest outwardly. It's the same word, basically, or cognitive used for women. They're to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle and quiet spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We see it in Galatians 5.23. So allow Christ's gentleness to control you. Allow him to, 
to temper your responses to be as he would have you be. Put it on. Put it on. So I gotta think about this. If this verse isn't in my mind, I'm not gonna be putting it on, right? I gotta think about these things. When those things trigger you, whatever it might be, sin, whatever, your flesh, you know, whatever it might be, temptation, I gotta think about this. I gotta think about this. Lastly here we see the word patience. Put on a heart of, and, and really, literally patience. This is the state of emotional quietness and rest in the face of unfavorable circumstances. Patience. You know, we're very impatient, by the way. Drive through lines too long, takes too long to make the burger. We get impatient. We get impatient with one another. We're all tempted to be impatient, right? But here, we're to put it on. In the scriptures, they reveal that God is patient. That God is patient. Paul says, hey, I got saved that God would reveal his perfect patience. Paul was a bad guy. Saul was a bad guy. And God revealed his perfect patience. First Timothy 1.16, And for this reason I found mercy in order that, that in me, as the foremost, speaking of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, sounds familiar, right? With patience. Patience. We need to be patient with one another, folks. We need to be. And when we're not, we need to confess it. And we step out and put it back on, right? Throw off the old garment, the bad, and put on the new, right? In Christ. We all fail. We all fail. We're all tempted on the inside to not be patient. We need to have God's word abiding in us, the Lord abiding in us by his spirit, that we would respond differently. That means I've got to have his word run into my mind when these things happen to me. They come out of the blue, by the way. When things cause us to be impatient, something happens all of a sudden, boom, you know. We've got to renew our minds, change our minds. So then we have this list of things here. Compassion, kind, humble, gentle, patient. Patient. There are some here listening to this today that have a lot of humble confessing to do. Just confess, be forgiven. Oh, how wonderful his forgiveness is. And move forward. Now notice uh, verse 13 now in our passage. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You gotta pull this verse out when you're angry. Confess it, right? You gotta say, here's what God wants me to be right now. Here's what He wants me to be. All the time. Then notice verse 13. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. And whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now it's interesting, we have two ING words, these are participles, bearing and forgiving. You don't wonder why. Why doesn't he just say, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgive, and bear with one another? No, he says bearing with and forgiving. It seems to be a foundation of all these things. You see, if you're not bearing with anyone and you're not forgiving them, you're not going to be able to be kind. You're not going to be able to be meek. You're not going to be able to be gentle. You're not going to be able to do any of these things. You've got to bear with them and Forgive. Forgive. Notice this first one, bearing with one another. Who are the one another's? Consistently in Scripture, the one another speak of fellow believers in Christ. 
guess what? If you're a true believer, you're going to spend the majority of your time around Christians. You really are. You're not going to hang out with the world. We're going to be in the world, but not of it. You know, the early church was exemplified by this. They were continually devoted to the apostles' teachings, breaking the bread, fellowship, and prayer. We're to be walking with the wise rather than being a companion of fools, Proverbs 13, 20. We're to be fleeing you full us and pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart, 2 Timothy 2, 22. We're to be by and large around one another. I guess we are around non-believers, no doubt about that. But most of our interactions can be in our families. If they're believers, we're going to be around believers. And so most of our issues are around each other. They really are. So we're to first and foremost be bearing with one another. Now, I've got, you know, those, you see those, it's now every 10 minutes. Breaking news, breaking news, newsflash. It's something every minute, right? Well, I've got breaking news for all of you right now. Believers sin. We sin. We sin. You know that old saying, to dwell with saints above, oh, that'll be glory. But to dwell with saints below, oh, that's another story, right? <laughs> we know that, right? We have issues with each other at times. But we are to be continually, habitually bearing with one another. The term bearing here means putting up with somebody. Putting up with them. Bearing with them. Enduring someone. Enduring. And I got another news flash. We are going to make mistakes. We're going to say things that are wrong. We're going to be insensitive. We're going to sin. We're going to fail. We're going to do that. Do that. We're going to say we need to forbear. We need to bear up with one another. We need to be enduring these things and bearing under them, in a sense, with one another. I'm not saying that we allow sin to go unchecked. Matthew and Galatians 6, we know that, right? It's talking about the little idiosyncrasies we have in our interactions every day. We are to be forbearing. Forbearing. You see, if you're not forbearing, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do the things we saw. You're not gonna be putting on those things if you're not forbearing. This is the foundation of putting those things on. Bearing with one another. Forbearance is an internal putting up with something. Okay? But we gotta see it from his perspective. That's how we can do it. We see them as his creation in Christ. We see them as loved. We see them as maybe misled and sitting in the moment, but we are we know love covers a multitude of sins. We see them as more important than ourselves. We're bearing up. you got to forbear. If you've got a relationship where they're not forbearing, that's not a very good relationship. Right? You're to forbear, and I'm to forbear. And folks, guess what? I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to say things right. I may be insensitive. I may omit something. You're to forbear, and I'm to forbear with you. And we can only do that when we trust Christ and allow his word to renew our hearts. So to dwell with saints above, oh, that'll be glory, but to dwell with saints below, that's another story, yet the story can be different. Forbear. Forbear. So then, continually, habitually forbear with the faults and idiosyncrasies of your family in Christ. Do you do that? Only Jesus can help you do that. And he will. And that's his command. Be doing it. Notice the next one here. Continual forgiveness. He says, um, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. This is believers here. This is believers in context. 
Here we see we're to be bearing with one another and forgiving. And this is an interesting Greek word for forgive. It's not the usual one translated forgive. In, in its root, it means to give graciously and freely, no strings attached. It speaks of a gracious, free gift of forgiveness granted. It's often translated forgiveness in the New Testament. And it emphasizes the generous grace of the forgiver to the one in need of forgiveness. That's what it emphasizes. We're going to see it's because God has forgiven us that we could forgive one another. It's translated forgiving here in our passage, Ephesians 4.32, 2 Corinthians 2.10 and 12.13, and Luke 7.42 and 43. We're to be bearing with one another and graciously and freely forgiving. If you can't forgive someone for them snapping at you, then you got a problem. Right? Forbear. Now, there might be a time to, you know, but to say something over time, to say, hey, you know, whatever that might be, but the reality is your response should be saying something. It's Christ. And then notice this. We see here, he says here, and whoever has a complaint against anyone, and we'll get back to that in a minute, notice, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. He graciously and freely forgave us. We should do the same thing. Earlier in Colossians chapter um, 1, verse 13, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2.13, And when you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which were hostile to us. He has taken them out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Just as Jesus did. Oh, I'm so glad God is not like us at times. I'm so glad, but we need to be like him, forgiving. You see, if you're not bearing with and forgiving, then you're not going to be um, having a heart of compassion. You're not going to be kind. You're not going to be this. Is, there's got to be this foundation. These people are going to treat you badly, accidentally. Not, I don't think it's on purpose all the time. We're going to do that. And then notice this statement of generality. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. And, and I asked the question, does anyone have a complaint against anyone? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay, if you have a complaint against anyone, what are you to do? Forgive, as the Lord forgave you. This term complaint speaks of blame and thus a cause for a complaint. Okay? Uh, basically, just as the Lord's forgiven us, we need to forgive. Someone's got a complaint. You got, this guy did something. Forgive him, right? I got blame to say, and it does a complaint, right? Let it go. Oh, how wonderful it is when Christ is manifesting his people when we're together, right? How wonderful that is. So we're to do that. So the next time you have a complaint against anybody, what does the Bible say you're to do? Forgive. That's just that clear. And it's unconditional. It's unconditional. Now, uh, as a pastor over the years, I've had lots of people who've had complaints about something I said or something I did or something I didn't do or what I should do. And sadly, people didn't obey this verse. A lot of people did, but some didn't. The ones that didn't, that caused separation. It caused uh, difficulty.
You know, often the complaint we have may not even be accurate, by the way. It may be wrong. Pretty straightforward. As God forgave us, well, how did he forgive us? Unconditionally and graciously, he freely forgave. Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. i got to look at what he's done for me. i got to think about my forgiveness in Jesus. I didn't deserve it. I was a wretch, and he forgave me. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. He forgave me. And I need to do the same for my brothers and sisters, at a minimum. At a minimum. Generous, gracious. We're so tight with our attitudes. We want to hold on to this because someone did this. Be generous with your forgiveness in Christ. Be generous. Micah 7.18, who is like who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain anger forever, but he delights in unchanging love. Who's a God like this? Tremendous God. Now, if you can't let go and you can't forgive, it may be an indication that you don't know the God who you say has forgiven you. In the end of... Uh, what the Lord Jesus shares to Peter about how many times he should forgive, he shares about the one that didn't forgive in this parable. He explains about it. He says, then summoning Lord's him, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, Matthew eighteen thirty two, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave, even as I have had mercy on you? Hey, Lord's had mercy on us. We need to forgive, right? And the Lord moved, his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed. So shall my father also do to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from his heart or from the heart. We need to forgive. We need to forgive. We need to let it go freely and graciously. Someone says something that is, offends you or makes you angry and then, well, let it go. That doesn't mean there might not be an opportunity to talk with them later on and say, hey, brother, let me share. This is, I don't know if you meant this or not, but I want to talk to you about it. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah. But just let it go. Let it go. Love covers a multitude of sins. Right? And that brings us to our last point here. Notice in verse 14, and put on, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Beyond compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, manifest in forbearance and generous forgiveness, beyond all these things, love. Just love. Just love. Don't be self-focused and self-centered, but be other-centered and Christ-centered. Love covers a multitude of sins. We see love in not what we've done, but what Christ has done. We see love manifest in that he laid down his life for his friends. We see that, John 15. We see that love originates from God, not from us. For love is from God. First John 4, 7. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. We know that we are taught by God to love. It's through his word, by his spirit. First Thessalonians 4, 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, that's a phileo love, you have no need to anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to agape one another, to love one another. God does it. We know in a true relationship with Christ, we will love. And we see that we love because he first loved 
us. John, 1 John 4, 19. You see, it's only because of His love for us that we can love one another. Now that love, what does it look like? We know in 1 John, we looked at this before, that we can know we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commands. We obey Him. What's His command? Forbear. Forgive. If I'm doing that, I can know, you can know that I love Him and I love you. Right? You know that, right? Same thing for you. Put on love. It's the sash that brings it all together, right? It's His love. Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's it's the fruit of His Spirit. So then, how do we live towards one another? How we live towards one another? We're to, because we're chosen and holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also shall you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond. It's the glue. It's the glue of unity, right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage, and I know that every one of us in here who truly know you have failed, we failed at times, Lord God. We have not done these things. We've not put on Christ in circumstances and situations. Lord, forgive us for our failings, Lord God. We know you do. And Lord, help us to put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. I pray we will be putting off those terrible things that no longer fit us, and we will be putting on the things that do fit us because we are in you. Help us to see ourselves rightly as your children, beloved, chosen, holy, and then that we would do these things by your power and strength. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.